What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel. We're going roundtable style today. I'm joined by, uh, let me see if I can do this right in alphabetical order. Ted Cahill, Carlos Colazzo, Mike Ladana, and John Mayo. I am last in alphabetical order. Yeah. I don't think I went youngest to oldest there, though, but I definitely went <laughs> oldest last. But we want to thank you for tuning in to the Baseball America podcast. Our podcast and our Facebook Lives are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com and enter the code BASHIP to receive free shipping on your order. That's B-A-S-H-I-P to receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. You can't see I'm not wearing one of these hats that sits so awkwardly above uh, J.J. Cooper's head. They just need to be broken in a little bit, but... (laughs) JJ always rocks a hat when we're on uh, we're on Facebook Live and uh, for me, uh, guys, we're going to talk Major League Draft, and we're not going to talk the 2017 draft. We're going to talk the 2018 draft. We've all been spending a lot of time in July and August uh, seeing a lot of these players. Uh, Durham to have the USA Baseball Complex right nearby in Cary, Teddy you into the Cape, and then Carlos has been all over the map uh, both here, uh, Tampa area code game, San Diego, Long Beach, San Diego. Uh, Mike went to area codes in San Diego with him. So uh, we've all seen a lot of college players, and we've all seen a lot of high school players uh, this summer. So we're going to try to give you a little bit of an overview of the 2018 draft class. But at this time last year, we, we would have you know, we, we gave you a pretty good idea of who was going to go toward the top of the 2017 draft. We knew Hunter Green, largest thrower in the high school class, and that he was one of the top talents in the high school class. We knew that uh, Roy, we had a podcast in the fall where – Matt Blood of USA Baseball told you, and for him, Royce Lewis was the number one. We were all about Brendan McKay. We were just talking, Teddy, before the podcast today about the top three freshmen from three years ago. It was Brendan McKay, Alex Lang, and, and J.J. Schwartz. And you know those three great freshman seasons that we had. McKay is the freshman of the year that year. McKay winds up being the first college player drafted in 2017. And we had him last year. I believe he was number two or number three on the USA national team prospect list. And it was as both a pitcher and a hitter. And right now he's pitching and hitting in pro ball. So um, a year out, we had a pretty good idea how the class was shaping up. But at the same time, we thought Alex Fado was a strong candidate to be the number one overall pick. He wound up going 18th. He sure pitched like a number one overall guy in Omaha, but that was after the draft. So uh, Mackenzie Gore was not toward the top of the high school prospect list. And by the end of the year, he was number one on some boards. So... There's some volatility every year in the draft class, guys. Accepting that and presenting that going in, let's get a quick overview of the class. I'm going to start with you, Carlos, and Mike, you can weigh in here on the high school class. This high school class, Carlos, this is your first time really like delving deep into it, going mm-hmm. on the showcase circuit. But you had done this before as an intern with us a few years ago, with Longenecker as the Clintern. Uh, so you saw that 2015 draft class when you were interning uh, that summer. Yeah. Um, what was your impression and what were scouts' impression this summer of how the 2018 high school class is showing is yeah. shaping up. No, I think going into this uh, summer circuit, the big thing was pitching. Everyone expected the 2018 high school pitching class to be extremely strong um, and really deep. And I think that kind of bared itself out over all of these tournaments at Under Armour, at uh, Area Codes, East I Coast Pro, Armor, Chicago, Perfect yeah. Game. Yeah, all, all these events, pitching was really the, the takeaway strength, uh, I think, 
another thing that I've touched on a lot, uh, both on Twitter and in some of the reports I've done, is the strength of the Georgia class. So those are the two demographics that we're going to be watching. I mean, Georgia historically, uh, at least on the high school side, seems to be the best year uh, that I know of personally, and I know a lot of scouts say it's the best year they've ever seen. Yeah, 2000, uh, 2002, when you go back, like in my time mm-hmm. at BA, is like the was seen at the time, yeah. and it's seen since then. It's like this very strong year, and that mm-hmm. was a year for Georgia that had Jeff Francoeur, it had Brian McCann in the second round, um, uh, Jeremy Hermida, mm-hmm. there are a few other guys. Yeah, it's just so deep this year, and then yeah. even... I think three of the top five players that we had in our initial uh, 2018 watch list on the high school side, at least, are from the state of Georgia. You've got Ethan Hankins and Kumar Rocker, who are two of the top pitchers, and they're going to be kind of, uh, I think we've already talked about before, the Riley Pint, Jason Groom kind of argument going forward. I know at East Coast Pro, I was listening to scouts kind of bounce them back and forth off each other, debate the pros and cons of each pitcher, and try to figure out who's going to be the guy. I think for me, Ethan Hankins has kind of taken that step forward. At East Coast Pro, he had the best outing of any pitcher of the 2018 high school class that pretty much any scout that I talked to has seen so far. Uh, multiple scouts said he was if, as good or, or better than Hunter Green in that one outing. Yeah. Don't want to compare him to Hunter Green overall at this point because it's still pretty early, but he's an extremely projectable 6'6 righty. He's throwing 95-96 and holding that velocity into starts. His breaking ball is coming along a little bit, and he commands the fastball, which is really the big thing right now. I bet if his breaking um, ball was a little bit more advanced, I bet yeah. you'd hear a lot of comparisons of him to uh, to Adam Wainwright because that's yeah. the last great mm-hmm. pitcher from the Georgia high school ranks. And I won't go too far on my Georgia tangent right now right now, because everyone will hear mm-hmm. about it. Even <laughs> talking about it makes me sound more Southern all of a sudden. No, and there are definitely arms this year. I know the track record of Georgia pitchers is a little shaky, but I think this shaky. year... Shaky. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Shaky. Shaky track record. <laughs> this year there are a lot of guys to maybe uh, try and cover up that history uh, just from a talent perspective and even a depth perspective. We can get into some of these guys if you want. But well, well at the beginning of the summer, we went over mm-hmm. like you know, with our top 10 high school for 28. We did early top 10s in yeah. July 13th. Obviously, Hudson Belinsky was a big part of that. And mm-hmm. we want to also, as we're doing a draft podcast, say a tip of the hat and some kudos to Hudson for – his work here yeah. in two and a half years, being an integral part of our draft coverage. He was our national writer for the draft this year. And now he is uh, hired by the Arizona Diamondbacks as an area scout for uh, yet-to-be-named, area-yet-to-be-named, uh, or area-to-be-named later mm-hmm. uh, scout with the Diamondbacks. But as we were putting these lists together, uh, Bryce Terang was number one, and that's the safest, longest track record high school kid, left-handed hitting shortstop, with Ethan Hankins, Kumar Rocker, Will Banfield, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. And then Luke Bartnicki at six, Georgia again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, it's a bad country band in my mind, but Florida Georgia line is where all these scouts are going <laughs> to live uh, in 2018 because the rest yeah. of our high school class was basically all Florida. <laughs> uh, Desadas, um, uh, Slade Ciccone, uh Mesa Denneberg, Carter Stewart. So it's eight of the ten were Florida Georgia. Yep. I mean, Mike, you, you saw area codes. Mm-hmm which is based in California, and it feels like it's always a stronger California or West and Midwest representation. Obviously, Jerry Kelenic, the top Midwestern player. Yeah. But even there, didn't the Southeast players kind of stand out relative to their peers from the rest of the country? Yeah, I thought so. I mean, for me, I thought the California teams, compared to the last two years I've been in area code, really weren't as strong or as deep. And, I mean... Granted, the teams that they've had in the past, they had Mickey Moniak, Blake Rutherford, Hunter Green, all those guys on the same team. It's kind of hard to yeah. it's kind of hard to top that. But uh, yeah, you know, I think the Nationals team, which is a team that that represents Georgia and Florida and, and the, the Southeast, that team was very good. I thought, and I thought the Northeast team showed really well too. The the Yankees Erico team there, I thought they had several arms and guys who could really handle the bat and, and made hard contact. But you know, for me. Um, at Area Codes and, and really at PG as well, getting my first look at this class. You know, obviously Ethan Hankins and Kumar Rocker really stand out for their their velocity and what they're able to do. But the guy who uh, could be the Mackenzie Gore type player, I think, is Matthew Libertor, a hmm. left-hander. He's a but he's not from North Carolina. He's not from North Carolina. <laughs> okay, but in terms of just his in terms of just his profile, just a a tall left-hander 
He's got room to fill out. He's got command of three pitches. Uh, the curveball and changeup, you know, both show at least average, probably better, you know, if not, you know, plus potential with those. He's already 90-93, touching 94, and he's got room to fill out. And he knows what he's doing out there. He quick pitches guys. He plays around a little bit on the mound. He looked really good at PG. I know, and Carlos was the guy who turned me on to him. He said, hey, watch out for Matthew Libertor, and he really he really jumped out to me. Yeah, so he's that, a guy I feel like we'll see him moving up our list going forward. At Under Armour, he was the guy they put in the last inning in case uh, uh, they went to extra innings. Gotcha. Cause, uh, the, the guys going obviously knew he was he was ready for it and up, up to do that. And I think he threw three innings. Uh, he threw the ninth, 10th, and 11th, I believe. It might have been just two, but either way, he comes out there ready to attack hitters. He does not care who's in the box at all. He just does his thing and goes right after hitters, and it's been extremely effective right now. I think he's definitely a guy uh, that's that's kind of shooting up currently, and he'll he'll be a guy to watch to see if his stuff jumps up. His stuff is already really good, but and he's from Arizona, yes, so he breaks Arizona, up yes. a little bit of the uh, he breaks yeah. up a little bit of the sameness <laughs> of the Georgia Florida thing. Him and Gorman. From Arizona, yeah, both Nolan Gorman, Nolan yeah. Gorman, baseman, first well. baseman, who uh, pretty much won all the home run derbies this summer. <laughs> I was gonna say he made Marlins Park look small. Yeah. I know that. I mean, just watching him. I mean, Jared Kelenic put on some impressive mm-hmm. power display. There, there were I mean, a lot of impressive hitters at this high school, the junior home run derby that yeah. I saw at the Futures game. But Gorman did it the easiest, and he's like you said, I'm just watching him throughout the rest of the summer. What we've been writing mm-hmm. about him, it's like, oh, Nolan Gorman, home run. Again, yeah. it's not just Derby. He does yeah, it's it in not games. just the Derby. Yeah, he squared up 95 miles per hour yeah. from Mason Denneberg in the Perfect Game All-American Classic and took it out, like, no doubt shot to uh, right center field. So he, he can do it in-game. He can do it in the, in the home run Derby. And so, so there are prospects. There are prospects from other parts of the country. But, Teddy, I have a feeling the Sunshine State, we're going to hear about this a lot on the college side, too. Because I look at the college list that we did in July, and it's not going to be too much. It'll be some changes after reporting on the Cape and these players, what they did in the Cape, what they did with USA Baseball. The Brady Singers, still Brady Singer, didn't play this summer. He's the number one guy. That's as it should be. He was an unsigned second rounder and uh, you know pitched extremely well in the College Series and the whole season, really, for, for Florida. But you have Singer and Coar for the Gators, Jackson Coar. You got Shane McClanahan for South Florida. You got... Uh, Gilbert at Stetson. This is uh, Florida is going to be one of the strongest states on the college side as well. It will be. I mean, it's uh, it's often like that, and it, it definitely will be again this year. What happens in Gainesville is a huge part of that, and um, you know Brady Sinner and Jackson Coar sat out the summer after you know the long um, journey through Omaha. Uh, they threw a lot of innings to to help them win that national title, and they sat. Shane McClanahan sat. Um, you know, he had Tommy John um, a year ago, so this was his first year back, and so he sat the summer. But those guys are going to be, you know, three top tier arms. Logan Gilbert, what he did uh, both in the spring and then yeah. carried that carrying that over to the Cape. He had a really strong Cape, um, you know, and, and he looks like he can be the next Stetson pitcher to to join the likes of Degrom and, and Corey Kluber out of that pipeline. Yep. Um, you know, so the the arms down there are going to be really good. I think some Florida area scouts and, and cross checkers down there are going to have some uh, some difficulties picking where they go on some Friday nights. They're going to have to they're going to have to plan it out a little bit. Uh, I mean the Gainesville and, and Stetson and um, you know South Florida. Most I think a lot of the the way teams divide up Florida, the probably falls on one guy. Yeah. Uh, one, one area for for many of those teams. So they're gonna they're gonna be running around a little bit, but it's going to be great pitching down there. Um, and there are some offensive players as well. John India, um, yeah. you know, has has been a, a very consistent performer, and um, you know, South Florida has some exciting athletes as well. And so, it, Florida, as usual, shaping up to be a very important part of the the draft class on on the college side. It is a uh, it's a fascinating college class to me, guys, just because because of the way that the draft is these days, which is very few players don't sign. The t- pro teams, the, the money is so high. I mean reading chapters of Alan Simpson's draft book. And it's just so funny to read, like, in the 80s and 90s, signability, you know, uh, I think a difference of $5,000 is what Barry Bonds went to college over. Like, <laughs> he was offered 61000 and he wanted sixty-six, Not a dollar under 66000 so he goes to college. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. Players sign out of high school. The top players almost all get scooped mm-hmm. up out of high school. doesn't mean that college baseball is bad. But especially the, among the position players – Especially position players, 
it's usually not the more they're late bloomers who are pitchers projection I think if hitters hit and runners run so most of the good position players who find their way to college baseball are at these extremes they have some flaws and I'm looking at our top college players Nick Madrigal's 5'7 161 he was a dude out of high school Elk Grove High everybody knew him but 5'7 161 is 5'7 161 uh, Travis Swaggerty. He's a pretty talented player out of South Alabama, but everyone I've talked to, and I, I rank them high on our USA uh, Collegiate National Team top 30 list, which we'll see next week on Monday. Um, but there's there's some rawness to his game. Um, there's no question about it. Jeremy Ironman, same thing. Baseball family, dad played pro ball, older brother played pro ball. Still some rawness to his game. And then you're looking at guys like Joey Bart, uh, Seth Beer, Luke and Baker. Joey Bart has all the tools to be a top-flight catcher, but he had a pretty bad summer, both in the Cape and USA team, 0 for 7, didn't make the team. Uh, Seth Beer, Luke and Baker, all bat. Uh, these players are at the extremes, guys. And I don't know, Teddy, it is, that seems like it's more normal for college baseball, but this year is it's an extreme to me when the top three, the three most famous players I can think of in college baseball, Beer, Baker, and Madrigal, those guys are really extreme profiles, and I mean extreme. They are. It's it's difficult, um, and and you know I think we've seen some more normal profile players uh, kind of break through this summer. Grayson Janista and Griffin Conine up on the Cape. Um, you know the, they're both pretty solid outfielders, left-handed bats. Uh, they're normally sized. Right. Uh, Janista, <laughs> if anything, is a little big uh, for a center fielder, but you know th- those guys have tools that, that I think people are going to be more accustomed to understanding how to how to manage, how to, how to deal with. Yeah. Whereas when you're a scouting director looking at this and, and you're looking at Nick Madrigal and you're saying, I really like this, and then but you have to turn to your boss and say, yeah, we want to draft this 5-7 player with the top 10 <laughs> pick. Like, I mean, it, it's going to take some doing to, to make that call. And someone probably will make that call, but that's going to not be for everyone. And it's not going to be for everyone to take... T- to take a player like Luke and Baker, who is, if you're taking him as a hitter, and we have to presume that's the way it's going to be since he didn't pitch last year, yeah. um, you're taking this behemoth of a man who can only play first base and you know is a right-handed hitter. I mean, there are these are not your profiles that that typically fit in the first round. So this year, it's going to be it's going to take a little while for for teams to shake this out. And I think this might be one of the years where not only do everyone's boards 50 through 100 look wildly different, but everyone's boards 1 through 15 might look wildly different. I think so, and you know, we kind of go into this every year, like are we ever going to have a high school right-hander drafted first overall? In the last uh, two of the last four drafts, we've had a high school right-hander go second, Tyler Kolick, Hunter Green. Kolick is recovering from Tommy John surgery, and Green is DHing in the, in the Pioneer League because he's a different cat. I mean, I don't know if we should even just call him – just a high school right-hander because the hitting is a legit option. But, uh, you know, Carlos, what, what's the, uh, you know, who are the profile guys for going 1-1? One, one? We've talked about high school right-handers, mm-hmm. but, like, high school catching, very, very difficult demographic. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm going to, you know, I don't want to put that on Ricky Bobby and say that he could be Joe Maurer, you know, but there have been high school catchers who have gone number one. But Bryce Terang, that's what we had him number one. He mm-hmm. is profiling and he has a very lengthy track record how how has he performed this summer has he performed like a one-one guy or is that a little too high of a uh does that does the performance this summer not quite match that lofty status yeah i would say that probably not he's had a solid summer from my perspective it hasn't been extremely loud but he's done everything that that you know he can do he's hit the ball to the opposite field he's fielded at shortstop and played well there he's run well um even he didn't have a, a great area codes. He had a couple balls that he hit hard back up the middle and a backside shot to the opposite field. But every at bat from him that I've seen, and this is going back to tournament of stars, it seems like he's in control of the at bats. He has a really good understanding of the strike zone, uh, and he doesn't really have any problems just fouling off or battling with low to mid nineties fastballs from these guys. So he's never seemed overmatched to me, mm-hmm. and that's definitely uh, a good thing. Uh, but but Bryce is a guy who does everything so well that he kind of has. Uh, he kind of plays his tools play up. Uh, he 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 doesn't have any impact power. I think that's probably the big drawback to him at this point. But Bryce, from every guy I've talked about, is a guy who can play shortstop at the next level. 
Um, scouts feel very confident in that at this point. He's a left-handed hitter who probably has some of the best feel for hitting of anyone in the class, uh, and he's a plus-plus runner, depending on who you talk to. So there are a lot of things to like there, and his floor is very high. The descriptions of him, of honestly, kind of sound like Mickey Moniak at shortstop. Yeah, and, and one that I've got is, is Dansby Swanson as well. Obviously, he's a left-handed hitter, but um, just kind of with the makeup and the IQ that he goes about playing the game with, uh, Dansby is, is one that I've heard, and, and Mickey, that one seems like it'd be pretty, pretty fair as well. But uh, just talking to Bryce, if you get a chance to talk to him, just the way he goes about the game and the way he goes about hitting, uh, it's very simple, but it's a very intelligent way of going about doing it. Uh, and he's not really phased, depending on what he did in previous at-bats. So, and again, a dad who played exactly, pro ball, so yeah. kind of grew up around mm-hmm. the game and has yeah, some advanced savvy. Yeah, his dad is an instructor in Southern California and tries to teach kids how to hit, and he's been doing the same thing with Bryce since he could swing a baseball bat. And, all of his sisters are extremely athletic. If you want to know more about Bryce, we've got a, a feature on him in, in the latest magazine that we did, and you can also find that online as well. So I, fi- I find Kumar Rocker to be the other just mm-hmm. super fascinating guy in this high school class. Yeah. I mean, how have the rest of us seen? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, he's listed 6'4", 260, and his dad played defensive tackle in the NFL. This is not a normal yeah, no. profile either. He is a mammoth human being. And yet, it sounds like he's got pretty good body control and athleticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you watch him come out, I mean, he, he's immediately obvious when he, he's walking from the bullpen to the mound. Um, he's a big guy. He's definitely the most imposing pitcher that you'll see in the high school class. But like you said, he's very athletic for how big he is. Uh, he has pretty good body control for that, that size, which is rare for yeah. a high school player uh, who's that big. You can trace that to his bloodlines as well. I know that's something a lot of scouts talk about, but... The thing with Kumar is his secondary pitches are are so advanced at this point. His slider is already potentially a plus pitch. Uh, He buries that pitch well. It has sharp late-breaking action. At Tournament of Stars, he really had everything together. He had a changeup, a firm mid- to upper-80s changeup to go along with a mid-90s fastball. I think the one thing with Kumar that that scouts are looking for is for him to spot that fastball a bit more. The velocity is there, and it's easy velocity, too. Scouts all say he's he's playing catch with the catcher right. when he's out there throwing mid-90s, touching 98. Um, but if he can kind of locate that down in the zone a bit more and, and sharpen up that fastball command, he's right up there with Ethan Hankins. And I know some people prefer him to Ethan Hankins uh, because of the secondary stuff. And even though he's not as wiry and thin as Hankins, he still has some projection because that fastball command can go a little bit. And uh, It's not physical projection, exactly. but it's projection on the stuff. Exactly. It, it, it is, uh, I mean, like the comparisons for him are guys like Jonathan Broxton or I mean, like Jerome Williams. I, I, I know one of the scouts I talked to this summer said, well, it's kind of that kind of body, but mm-hmm. like a better version. But it's just hard to comp mm-hmm. a 6'4", 260 guy. He's, he's the one guy on the high school side who reminds me of the college side because he is uh, off the charts in terms of his mm-hmm. size and his comparables. I guess the other guy who fascinates me, and Mike, I'm not sure if you've seen him. Carlos, you could weigh in, or I'm not sure if you've seen him, Teddy, or not, but Carter Stewart oh, yeah, yeah. fascinates the hell out of me I've seen him. Yeah, jump on because him. And Justin, Perl, <laughs> Justin Perlin, our intern, one of our interns oh, yeah. this summer, who wrote this. It's a good story on our website. I would definitely go seek it out if you have draft 2018 interest. This guy's the the RPMs on his, the spin rate on his yeah. curveball would have been top 10 in the major leagues. I mean, it's like a Seth Lugo-ish curveball spin It wouldn't spin even rate. been top 10 in the major leagues. It would have been, I think, higher. One of them the was highest. number one, I think, uh, but, but yeah. I think it's been surpassed since then. So he's, yeah. he has this incredible spin rate on the breaking ball. He's 6'6", 195. Yeah. This guy sounds incredibly exciting mm-hmm. to me, Mike. I Yeah, I think he's someone to be excited about, and I think he's someone who could continue to rise up boards, especially you mentioned his, his dimensions there. I mean, he's a guy who's he's only going to get bigger and stronger. Um, you, you watch him, he's already got a fastball command. He's 90 to 92 for the most part. So there, there's room there to add a couple of ticks if he fills out physically. And then his breaking ball, the thing that I really like about it is it's a curveball. It has vertical movement, but it, it's harder than most curveballs you see at that level. And obviously the spin rate, you know, is, is higher than you see at any level for the most part. But, but he throws it with power already. Yeah, huh? he throws it with power already at 78 to 79. And he commands it. It's 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 really nasty. Seeing it in person, I can understand that. So to me, you know, spin rate is always one of those things that's kind of hard to, you know, visualize. 
I think, or just to know, okay, what does this mean? What does the spin rate mean? Yeah. I can see what it means with him because this breaking ball is nasty. <laughs> it is it's the best nasty. breaking pitch in the class at this point. If we were doing best tools right now, Carter Stewart's curveball would be the best breaking pitch, and it's not really up for debate at this point. So Who was the good. best breaking ball in the Cape, Teddy? Because I know for USA team, Tim Kate was best breaking ball, and the scouts I've talked to said the UConn left-hander, if you were doing best tools, best breaking ball, Tim Kate for USA team might have that. At the same time, he's kind of casmirish in his size. There could be durability questions. And when you really think about like six foot 185, he's listed 187. There are not a lot of guys that size who are starting pitchers in the major leagues anymore. So durability is going to be a question for Tim Kate. Who was that breaking ball guy in the Cape? I think a lot of people would probably say Ryan Rollison at Ole Miss. Um, Draft eligible sophomore. Yes, and it's uh, it's a wipeout pitch. Um, but if we're going to take it more broadly, Include the guys that sat the summer. Brady Singer's slider. Yep. Is, uh, I mean it's, that, it's that that's probably it on, on, on the college side. But I think Rollison probably be the guy uh, on the Cape. Zach Hess was up there for a little bit as well, and he has a very, very good breaking ball as, as we all saw in Omaha. So this is a little tangenty, but I, I kind of wanted to get to a bigger picture story mm-hmm. too. So we're talking about best breaking balls. I mean fastball velocity. That's what a lot of so, summer showcases are about. That's what we write about so often. That's where the game is going. Have you guys noticed, um, maybe this is more of an old guy question, I, I haven't noticed a ton of it, but I guess when I talk to scouts sometimes about these amateur players and just say Connor Pilkington, the guy for USA, it's like, well, it was 91 night or Casey Mize. Casey Mize is the top-ranked, will be the top-ranked pitcher on the USA college national team. He was a third-team All-American last year. He's at Auburn. He's an SEC ace. He checks a lot of boxes to be a first-round pick and a top-of-the-first-round guy next year. The one he doesn't check is health. But he, you know, he touches a lot of 96s. I got track band data of him up to 95, 96 for the college national team over the USA Complex. But at the same time, he's a lot of twos and threes. That used to be above average or plus for fastball velocity, but it's average now for the major leagues. Have you guys noticed that? Like this, uh, as you go around this, uh, as you're seeing stuff this summer and you're covering it this summer, Teddy, I'll start with you. When you're making calls on the Cape, do you notice? Like 92, 93 almost being dismissed as average, or does that still move the needle for scouts? You know, this is basically a Baseball America office discussion taken to the podcast now. Yes. And I have long been resistant to the idea that that's really changed. When we're talking about relievers, absolutely no one is going to get excited about you throwing 92. But if you're a starter and you're holding 92, go look in the big leagues. Corey Kluber does that. Right. Like you don't have to throw 97 as a starter in the big leagues, and most of them don't. You know, they, they will touch it or whatever. Um, so, yes, I think guys that are holding that kind of velocity, that is still, uh, you know, going to be taken in high regard. And, you know, I think what we've seen from Mize in the spring, you know, the, the injury issues I think are contributing to where his velo was this summer. Um, but I, there is something to, like, I, I would guess that, so Chris Bubich, yeah. Huge lefty from Stanford. Um, you know, he gets up to 93. He touched 93 in the All-Star game. It was a one-inning uh, appearance, obviously. Uh, but he's done that before. He typically, though, throws 88 to 90 in there. And that's not going to excite anyone. Right. Um, whereas, like, in the past, if you have, like, a lefty, I think he's 6'3", 6'4", touching 93, like, people would have gone absolutely nuts over that. Yeah, Stephen Gingry. For example. Yes. Instead, he winds up as you know the third or fourth best pitching prospect on the Cape. I, th- I think I ranked him fourth best pitching prospect on the Cape, and he carves and everything. But th- so there is something to this. But I, I don't think ninety-two to ninety-three is going to be dismissed if you can actually hold that and do that for five, six innings on the co- or on the high school side. Maybe that is being dismissed because if you're only doing that for two innings, mm-hmm. there there become larger questions about what you do uh, once you get off the showcase circuit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, is the velocity on the high school side surprising at all, Carlos? Is it what you expect? I mean, and Mike, I mean, you've been to a few of these now, yeah. three uh, area codes in Jupiter. You know, were scouts even surprised? And how do they how are they viewing velocity on the high school? Uh, I don't know if they were surprised at, at some of the peaks these guys were getting to, but I was definitely surprised at how many guys were throwing in the low to mid-90s. I mean, every single pitcher at the Perfect Game Classic threw at least 91 which was surprising to me. Uh, I don't know if uh, scouts who have been around longer are surprised by that or not, but what also surprised me was the number of guys who were pitching 
and locating and switching sides with mid-90s fastballs because I would assume high school kids throwing 95 are just slinging it in there. But we already touched on Hankins. Uh, Mason Denenberg throws 95-96. And, he and he's not even it, full-time pitching. Yeah, and and he's, he's not even 100% full-time Inside, baseball. outside, pretty regularly from what I've seen from him. Uh, Cole Wilcox is another guy who throws mid-90s, mid-90s, another Georgia guy, and he seems to have a pretty good idea where it's going. Georgia pitching. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's insane. So I guess the depth of guys who are throwing in the 90s uh, and, and locating it at this point is surprising to me, um, and, and just the, the depth of, of pitchers this year. I was impressed with. I mean, Mike, is yeah. just is it, are you becoming inured to it? Like I said, I mean, you've been to this uh, <laughs> over and over again now. We send you to Jupiter. We send you to PG. We send you to Area Codes. Yeah. Are you kind of getting used to it down at the high school side? Yeah, you know, I mean, at, at Area Codes, it was it was about the same as I've seen it the past couple of years. I mean, you have a lot of guys running out there that are going to be, you know, 87, 88. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you might see a guy come in and touch 93. And, you know, that that's probably, you know, peak velocity for, you know, a lot of teams in that event. And then you have a guy like Ethan Hankins come in and touch 96, 97. But doesn't he also have, like, the tucked-in thumb Ethan Hankins, like, on his fastball grip? It's a little different grip, is it not? I thought I saw that story that... I know uh, Libertor has a tucked-in finger on his curveball. Okay. Yeah. I thought I saw Hankins had a different grip as well with the fastball, which just – I tried to throw one the other day where uh, Cliff Welch, one of our photographers, Mm -hmm. sent me the picture of how his his thumb is tucked in under the ball. Yeah. And I tried to throw a couple – I I shouldn't even hold up my arm because it's very sore because I threw (laughs) a lot of BP yesterday. But I tried to throw a couple and – those went behind the hitters. They didn't even. I'd only dosed two kids, which is an improvement for me. Um, they didn't know what I meant mm-hmm. by dose, and neither did any of the parents. But I did throw a couple balls behind them when I tried to tuck that finger underneath. I don't know how the heck Ethan Hankins does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it sounds like he has really good fastball command too for for the, his age and the velocity that he throws with. So he makes it. He makes it look easy. He makes it look very effortless. Um, it's it's easy velo. He's loose, and then the fact that he varies his delivery as much, which is one of those things that's in vogue right now, and you and you see it a lot. Marcus Stroman is doing it all the time. Yeah, Johnny Cueto's been doing it for years. You're seeing it kind of more and more, or at least highlighted more. People talk about it more, mm-hmm. and it's something that he does, and I, I think it's fun. Um, just you know, he'll hold his delivery a little bit longer, or he'll quick pitch, or he'll. My favorite thing that Ethan does is so when when batters start to adjust to this, they'll they'll kind of step out of the box and take their time. If a batter steps out of the box with Hankins on the mound, he'll turn around and he'll go mess with the rosin bag to where he's stepping on the mound right when the batter's ready to get set and he can still quick pitch. So hmm. yeah. He's thinking about it constantly and there's a lot of gamesmanship there and it's fun to watch. You, so you, the part I like about that is that the mentality of the pitcher has mm-hmm. the ball. The pitcher's in control. Yeah. Yeah. You control the bat. So even if it's like you said, like gamesmanship, mm-hmm. the mentality that creates that is who's in charge here? 100%. Ethan Hankins is in charge, and I, that's that's the mentality I think a pitcher has to have. The, the best uh, description of this or the best uh, example of this is when Bryce Durang faced Ethan Hankins the right. first time in area codes. That exact situation that I was talking about happened then. I know a couple people in the stands, scouts and evaluators, were kind of chuckling at, at the gamesmanship there because both of those players are normally in control of the at-bats, and you can tell both of them are trying to do whatever they can to, to be in control of the at-bat. and. Just the way they think about kind of going about it is is fascinating to me and exciting. Teddy, what was the Velo like this year at the Cape All-Star Game? Was it even still the third year? I think we sent you the Cape All-Star Game in a row. Was it different? Was it similar to past years, a little better? Uh, I think in general people were uh, impressed by the velocity on the Cape. I think there were a lot of relievers, especially, that were just run, rolling out there in the upper 90s. Um, you know, Ryan Feltner, who had a very bad sprint for Ohio State. His ERA this spring was like 6.5, but he was rolling out like 96, 97. He had a very nice nice summer on the Cape and, uh, you know, definitely helped himself. But I, I think, um, you know, in that in those one-inning stints there, there were a lot of guys throwing reasonably hard. I didn't find it to be wildly overwhelming, um, but I, I think just in general the velocity on the Cape was, uh, was up this year. And the thing is with the national team, it was down. So and I USA think that baseball. plays into it is that yeah. last year the um, national team got the hard throwers. They took Bukowskis. They took Lane. Right. They got Faedo. They got those guys. This year they didn't take guys that were just throwing hard. And so the Cape wound up with, with more guys like that. I think that's probably a reflection of the coaching staff. Uh, John Savage, pitching coach Troy Buckley. These are guys who are certainly familiar so with hard throwers. was a priority, I think, for that staff Correct. when they were picking it. 
right. uh, more than it off, more than it typically is. So that's how you wind up. And I'm not saying that he's not a good prospect because he's actually one of my favorite guys in the class. I love Tyler Holton, uh, plus hair, plus athleticism, <laughs> can swing the bat, good quote, good changeup, like plus changeup, breaking balls improved. Sounds like it's a solid average curveball now. He just doesn't have arm speed. He's 84, 88, touching a 90. I had a scout tell me that one of the times he saw me was one inning of 84, 88, then three innings of 82, 86. That's a 20 fastball in the big leagues right now. That's Jamie Moyer, you know, from 15 years ago. But Tyler Holton gave up one earned run the whole summer in 13 innings, 14 to two strikeout the walk, and he is athletic. This is a guy like if he were in pro ball right now, trying to survive a Sally League season where he was throwing 82, 86, he would be given a weighted ball program. I mean, that's what he'd be given. There are ways, if all you want to do is throw hard, if you want to add five-mile-an-hour velocity, we can figure that out. You know, there are a million self-help books for it. I just read one. <laughs> this is reading Dave Coggins' book just now with uh, David Yeager and uh, Trevor Hoffman. I've got the Jaeger book at home. If you, want to, if you want to throw hard, you can go to Texas Baseball Ranch Web who are advertising throw harder. It's very rare that you see someone advertising throw better change-ups. Yeah. Have more pitchability. It's like the bats were before they started really coming down the bats. And every bat ad that we've ever run at Baseball America remains hit harder, better performance. They never say, here's the most durable bat on the market. <laughs> they don't say that. And no one says that for pitching. It's all velocity, velocity, velocity. So if Tyler Holden wants to throw harder, I think he'll throw harder. So I like him as a prospect because I think he will throw harder. Mm-hmm. He's an athlete. He'll stop hitting which I know he'll hate. He'll focus more <laughs> on his on his velocity than he will on his hair. I'm just making jokes, but yeah. the guy has good hair. This is not subjective. This is an objectively good it's, hair. It's not even the best hair on the team. Well, it's like, not even the best hair on the team. Him and Drew Mendoza, yeah. definitely. I know they have a hair rivalry for but sure. Drew Mendoza's hair is like it's as good as his power. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, and he doesn't use products. It's elite which, hair. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it's elite hair. Yeah, but, so I think Tyler Holton, for me, I think he's going to be a big leaguer, yeah. but he's not going to be a big leaguer throwing eighty four, eighty eight. Well, I, I also think that the Florida State is an interesting yes example here because the so Team USA took Holton, who was exceptional this year, an All American, love that, well guy. deserving of his spot on Team USA. The Cape gets Cole Sands, who throws way harder right. than Tyler Holden. He's also right-handed, but like so that it, it's just interesting that yes. just on that one team, just the division, like the Cape got the harder superior thrower. prospect probably, and Team USA got the superior college player, the superior pitcher, and yeah, and Team USA went fifteen and five. Can't argue with those results, but again, it, it just meant that some of these guys that maybe would have been on Team USA in years past. Went to the Cape, and th- therefore there was a little more. It was a little more stuff on the Cape. It was a little jarring though to watch the college national team having uh, again to remind you how old I am. Watch them since Jared Weaver threw hard. <laughs> it was on the college national team back he when Justin hard. Verlander was young and fighting in the dugout with Dustin Pedroia. <laughs> but the top pitchers on this staff, the hard throwers were Dallas Wolfork, uh, another Ole Miss, who was at the '97 out of the bullpen. Um, one scout said the first thing he noticed about Dallas Wolfork was his thighs and. He's a uh, big boy. He's a big. He's a big fella. <clears throat> um, Austin Riley's high school teammate. I didn't know that. That's interesting. So we saw him probably at DeSoto. All right, in the NHSI. Then you have Nick Springles with the ninety-five on the left side, but uh, kind of scatter command. Mm-hmm. Riley Gilliams five ten. Maybe he's Dominic Leone to use a Clemson on Clemson right-handed pitcher, undersized comp. Um, but most of these guys weren't throwing hard. Like Sean Weimer, touching some fours, but. The pitchers who got the most innings were Connor Pilkington, who can touch a five, but really pitched at 90-92. Mm-hmm. Steven Gingery, who's 88-91. Above average fastball life, but not velocity. Uh, again, Holton. And then Patrick Raby led the team in innings pitched, 19 and a third. No earned runs allowed. Wow. And I can't find a guy to say a nice thing about his stuff and his pro prospects. Good college pitcher. Vanderbilt Friday guy. But 88 to 90 and... The last two guys I just talked about where I was really bearing down on Patrick Raby, my question was, what does Patrick Raby do well enough to allow him to have this dominant summer? They both were like, well, he makes good pitches. He's a pitch maker, but I wouldn't put average on anything he does. Yeah. So it's it was a different college class. Um, we got a couple questions, and then I got to bail um, so you guys could finish the podcast. Uh, let's take a couple Twitter questions, though. David Sanchez asks... 
the lefty that started opposite Hankins in the perfect game game first rounder Carlos Colazzo. Yeah. who was it and is he a first rounder? That's Matthew Liberatore, who we touched on already. I think at this point, if you had to guess, probably yeah. I mean, it's really early to to kind of put that on somebody, but he's a six four lefty who's throwing. 92-93, like Mike said, with feel for three pitches. Um, are, are he and Luke Bartnicki the top high school left-handers in the yeah, class? Yeah, I think so. Maybe. I think if you ask me right now, I'd say Libra Torres looked much better than Luke Bartnicki. Uh, Bartnicki, uh, his slider has been inconsistent. I know that's a developing pitch for him. He's He can go back and forth with the fastball either side, but I'd say Libra Torres has pitched better this summer. How's the, how, how's the high school left-hander depth look? Um, not as good as the right-handers, which is probably not surprising, but there are some really interesting lefties. I mean, those two are, are the first that, that kind of come to mind. Caleb Hill is a guy who showed well at East Coast Pro. Um, he's another guy to, to look into. Um, and we'll see how many of these guys also. Mm-hmm. This is a big weekend coming up as we're podcasting. Tomorrow is the start of 18U National mm-hmm. Team Trials. So they have Tournament of Stars. I think it was, what, 96 players this year? That whittles down to a 40-man roster, which was announced at the uh, future uh, All-Star Weekend. Uh, that 40-man roster uh, now uh, under the command of Matt Blood, uh, Baseball America alum and USA Baseball 18U National Team Director. They're all in Minnesota, going through physical today, checking in. Trials start tomorrow. They're going to be training at the University of Minnesota's ballpark and a target field. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I got Verklempt talking about it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but so, so then we'll see how that team yeah. that goes to Thunder Bay September 1st for 18-year world championships. Another lefty who I should have mentioned is Ryan Weathers, who okay. has uh, looked extremely good at East Son of David Weathers, Perry right? Codes. Yes. He's, like uh, he might be the most polished lefty right now, just with fastball command, change-up slider, break, harder breaking ball. I don't know if he calls it a slider or curveball, but uh, Ryan Weathers is also a guy to watch out for. The left Vandy commit. Yep. There's another Vanderbilt commit, but the left-handers, Teddy, we talked about this. This is one of the areas of strength of the college class. Potentially, you have Gingery and Holton, who are both first-team round, uh, first All-Americans, coming back. Uh, we mentioned, and then uh, Pilkington, who was number 14 in the Cape Prospect list last year as an 18-year-old freshman, now as a 19-year-old sophomore, uh, one of the top 10 guys on the college national team list. And we mentioned Shane McClanahan, the most exciting of these guys. He has had Tommy John surgery, but McClanahan's 6'1", 173, but a ball of athleticism. And you wrote about him a couple years ago uh, when Mark Kingston recruited him to South Florida, this very exciting draft cl- uh, uh, recruiting class. Coach Kingston's gone to South Carolina, but he leaves behind some real talent at South Florida. Absolutely. And, um, you know, McClanahan has, has, you know, he missed his freshman year that, that first year with, um, with Tommy John, but he came back and uh, was, was dynamite this year uh, and, and certainly looked like every bit of the, like the projection is coming together for him. And then we mentioned Ryan Rollison earlier, um, you know, a, again, another uh, draft eligible sophomore. Yep, another um, left-hander. You know, the, he was the top arm on the Cape. Um, you know, so there, there is some definitely left-handed, Chris Bubich, also left-handed. Um, there, there's definitely some, some good left-handed pitching talent out there uh, th- this year. Yeah, and I think, uh, again, on the USA team, we mentioned some of those guys. Springles, another really interesting guy to watch. Uh, very different delivery right now than he had in high school. The arm slot's lower. The arm action is longer. He is trying to manufacture f- uh, fastball life. He has done that, but he has sacrificed command to get fastball life. This is probably a whole other podcast, but this is part of, as Matt Eddy talks about, this convergence that we see in professional baseball of relievers are becoming more like starters and starters are becoming more like relievers. I mean, less is being asked of starters and more is being asked of relievers. I think that's going to start filtering into draft discussions. What makes a starter pitcher, what makes a high school, an amateur pitcher project as a starter? I think that line is getting blurred. Uh, we had uh, another uh, question. Might, maybe this would be a good way to wrap up the podcast unless you guys have other uh, items you want to bring up. Chuck Wurtenberger asked, who's the best high school draft prospect as it stands today? Can that player go number one overall and make it three years in a row of high school players going number one? And I guess the flip side is, uh, who are the college players most likely to go number one overall? Carlos, who, who's, who are the, you know, we, we've talked about Hankins, we've talked about Rocker, we've talked about Terang. Is there someone else you could see uh, yeah. Going first overall? I think the another interesting one is Nander DeSatis. He's a shortstop out of Florida, a really talented Florida shortstop class. He's a switch hitter. Uh, he's only been hitting from the left side for about two years now, but he has power from both sides. He did the home run derby uh, at the Under Armour game and I think had 11 homers in the first round from the right side Wow! Uh, at Wrigley Field. Uh, it was the most impressive first round. I think it was the best round overall. He didn't win, but it was the most impressive individual round. 
Uh, and then he switched over to the left side at uh, San Diego's field for the qualifier for Perfect Games Home Run Derby. And in Fowler had, Park. Yeah, and he had one of the most impressive home run uh, rounds uh, from the left side as well. He's bigger than Bryce Durang, and he has more impact with the ball because of that, but he also has really quick actions at shortstop, really impressive hands, uh, and he's got a, a great approach at the plate as well. So he's maybe more toolsy. I think he's probably definitely more toolsy than uh, Bryce Durang. There's less track record there with the bat. But he is very exciting and definitely a guy who could shoot up depending on his uh, his performance. How about Will Benfield and Jared Kellenick? Yeah. If you can talk a little bit about Benfield. I mean, yeah. Mike, you did a feature on Kellenick. High school outfielder. Seemed like it's a hard mm-hmm. profile to get to 1-1, but we just had it happen two years ago with Moniak. But what, you know, high school catcher, very risky demographic. Mm-hmm. But guy Will Benfield has track record for a high school player uh, unlike most high school definitely. players. Definitely, and I think... Uh, the, the catching demographic in Banfield will be an interesting discussion as we continue to, to go through this process to see how, how many teams are scared off just by that history. Uh, but Banfield is one of the best high school catching prospects that we've seen in some time. Uh, according to guys that I've talked to, he is an elite uh, defensive catcher already. He's got one of the best arms in the class, and he's probably the best pitch framer as well. I know you talked about Justin Perline a little bit earlier. Me and him did a, yes. uh, a catch-framing analysis of the Tournament of Stars catchers, and Banfield rated very highly or at the top of that uh, analysis that we did. Uh, he has the benefit of catching Ethan Hankins and Kumar Rocker on his summer ball team. Um, he's extremely uh, aptly athletic. Named, aptly named team elite yes, this summer. Yes, it is impressive. Uh, if you watch him behind the plate, uh, it's crazy how low he's able to set up to the ground and frame low fastballs that have life. Uh, that normal catchers are just trying to, to catch. Uh, but he frames those pitches. He blocks extremely well. He's got great bat speed. Uh, his batting practices are all really impressive. I think you're going to want to see him perform more in games. Uh, he's he's swung and missed a little bit much, uh, a little bit more than you'd like to see, I guess, the, the past few events I've been to. But the bat speed is there. He's got power. Um, so he's definitely a, a top-of-the-class type guy. Um, is, is Kellenick that kind of guy for you, Mike? Does he have a chance to be a, a top-of-the-class performer? I, I mean, I think so. I mean, you look you look at the guy, and he's a physical specimen. He works out alongside J.J. Watt back home from the same hometown as J.J. Watt, the Houston Texans defensive end, who's a big guy in his own right. Uh, yes. <laughs> Jared Jared is not that big, but he's, he's very strong, and he's a guy who he's not a one-trick pony. I mean, you watch him. He's got some speed. Um, he showcased that in the in the perfect game, All America Classic. He he stole base in that game. He made a nice sliding catch in right field. Yeah, it was probably one of the best defensive plays of the game. Yeah, he's he's a potential five tool kind of guy, and you, and you watch him take BP. You know, the ball just it's just a different sound coming off his bat. He's mm-hmm. got bat speed. He's got some you know he's got some pop. Clearly, right. you know it. It'll be interesting to see how much he hits for contact, but certainly the thump in his, his bat mixed with his athleticism, his strength, and then just the makeup, his his work ethic. He's kind of an intense dude. He's very intense. <laughs> he's very intense, but he's he works hard. He's a competitor. He's a fiery competitor. He kind of reminds me of this could be a, a good comp or a bad comp, but in terms of personality, Alex Bregman, in hmm. terms of his competitiveness. He's not he, going to uh, frag anybody on Twitter, is he? He needs to be careful not to, he needs to, be careful not to slide into people's DMs. Yes. But I love into, Alex Bregman, but that yeah, was... Yeah, I, I, love, I love Alex Bregman too, he needs to, but he needs to be careful about that. But <laughs> in terms of his competitiveness and that edge he has, he reminds me of Bregman in, from a personality standpoint. I think the one thing to watch with Kelnick moving forward, that uh, probably the biggest question for him in the draft is... Uh, whether teams believe he can stick in center. Mm. I've seen him play really well there. I think he takes great routes and has great jumps on the ball, but a lot of people think he's a corner guy. Right. Uh, and if, if you do think he's a corner guy, he's got to do a lot more with the bat. So. And it's going to be hard for a high school outfielder in Wisconsin yeah. to perform yeah. in the spring to move himself up. versus After Jupiter, he's done, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just about that. your evaluation really will be based on mm-hmm. that. Whereas, again, for Brady Singer, I mean, he's the most obvious. He's the obvious leader Third straight year we've had a Florida Gator as that obvious leader. I think it's earned. We have, I guess, the, the not, I wouldn't say dark horses, the guys who emerged the most in the Cape this summer as potential bats who could be drafted high, Teddy, were Griffin Conine and Grayson Janista. Grayson Janista was a guy who had not a great body out of high school in the Kansas City area, really has gotten better at Wichita State. Wichita State making this uh, case in the Cape, I think they're going to be one of the most watched teams next year. And the same for Duke, where it wasn't just Griffin Conine, but Jimmy Heron, who had a really strong summer after being an eligible sophomore this year. 
Um, what are the are those two bats who are the most consistent bats in the Cape from an impact and profile level? Like Janista, if he can play center field, which he did in the Cape, Conine, who has the power to be that profile corner guy. Are those guys in your mind candidates for one one? Are they more candidates for the t- first ten picks? I see Janista as a one one candidate if you can be convinced that he's a center fielder. He's like in the he's in the Bradley Zimmer family of center fielders. Yes, right? like he's that kind of size. He maybe is like a tick slower, at least first step slower than Zimmer, uh, which is not going to help him in terms of staying in center field. But he is that kind of physical player. He has power that he hasn't tapped into yet, in part because his swing. He's still swinging like he's a contact guy, and uh, at some point somebody might be able to, to unlock some of that power with him. Uh, but I, I think he could be there. I think it's really hard to take a guy who's basically a right fielder or maybe a left fielder, uh, depending like on, on yeah his athleticism. Conine is as one one. You'd have to hit a ton, and I mean he can hit no doubt. But I think that's I think that's a hard profile to take at one one. I think Ryan Rollison maybe could jump hmm. him as a as a left hander if he goes out and performs on Fridays in the SEC. As a left-hander, throwing the way he throws, like I think that um, you know, people are are ready to for for more ready to take a guy like that than they would be to take a guy like Conine, who had an incredible summer uh, and should be considered ahead of Rollison at this point. But I, I think that the ceiling on Rollison is, is better than than what you're looking at at Conine. And that's a great call. And the one thing to remember when we're talking one-one, uh, and thanks everyone for the questions. But the Phillies right now have the worst record in the major leagues. Uh, that would be interesting if they picked. First overall, twice in three years. Um, the Giants are next. The Giants are not an organization that generally takes high school players high, but they just took Helio Ramos in the first round this year. Um, and then the, the Reds and the White Sox are in that mix. The White Sox actually, as of now, would pick third and the Reds fourth. Those are the four teams that have 70 or more losses in the major leagues right now. So for me, I mean, there doesn't mean that some other team can't get tanktacular and catch them. Uh, Detroit, the, the Athletics, certainly... Of those two teams, I mean, the Padres, the Padres want to tank. They've got more Rule 5 picks than anybody. They could run them all out there every day, all day, and uh, and tank with the most. But uh, the Giants and the Phillies and the White Sox, those three teams have the inside track, in my mind, to pick in first overall. And in general, the track record of the Giants and the White Sox has been very college-heavy. We know which that is the Giants like the Cape a lot. They do. Uh, John Barr is on USA Baseball. He's been on USA Baseball's board of directors for a long time. And he does love the Cape, whether it's Brandon Belt or Brandon Crawford or Joe Panic, whoever. I know so, Brian Sabian was on the Cape for a while this year. There you go. He's hard to miss. He's got good hair. <laughs> he doesn't have Drew Mendoza hair or Ty- maybe Tyler Holton hair. And he's a Bay Area guy. And he's he's from the Tampa Bay Area, which he insists is the best Bay Area. No offense to the Tampa Bay Area, but come on. How can you say that? I just don't get that one. So by offending the entire Tampa Bay area, that's a great way to end the podcast. (laughs) We're going to have a lot more draft coverage going on, but we have other things to do as well. So uh, we appreciate the questions. You can always send those to us all on Twitter. We're not hard to find on Twitter, but uh, Carlos Colazzo, Ted Cahill, Michael Ann, I appreciate you guys taking the time. I want to remind you that our podcast was sponsored by Baseballism. Don't forget to shop now at Baseballism.com. Enter the offer code BASHIP and receive free shipping on your order Visit Baseballism.com for hats, shirts, and more today. And thank you to Baseballism for sponsoring our podcast. So for the draft crew here at Baseball America, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.